Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is what the word of the Lord says to us this morning on whatever today's date is. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is deep. This is dark. We're at the, this is low. This is low. He says in verse 3, Among them too we also formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's the bad news. And we're going to talk about that this morning, but the glorious good news in verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. We're alive. Amen. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's a lot there. We're going to unpack it this morning, but let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us by your scriptures. And we are made alive in you, Lord Jesus. We have this glorious new life. Help us to understand the glorious day that you brought us out of darkness into light. Lord, let it sink in. Let us know this truth. Let it penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Wow, what an amazing text that we have come upon this morning in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. Question for you this morning. Just to get your minds rolling, to get you thinking about the message, what makes us value Christ? What makes you value Christ? What, 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 um, what makes you, what makes him the treasure of your life? What makes us value him? Let me tell you, one of the things that will help you value Jesus Christ is this, is when you understand where you were. Where you, when you understand, when you rightly, biblically understand what God has done in your life, what he has rescued you from, you will love Jesus. You will love Jesus. There's a reason why they call the gospel good news. They call the gospel good news because guess what? There's bad news. There's bad news. The text that we're looking at this morning is, uh, is, is we're going from the lowest man can be to the highest we're going from the morgue to heaven this morning. We're going from the Marana Trench. Pastor Dave, what in the world is the Marana Trench? To Mount Everest. The highest point on planet Earth is Mount Everest. It is 29,000 feet high. That's how high Mount Everest is. Just to give you a little perspective, have you been to Chimney Rock before? Chimney Rock is 2,000 280 feet, 2,000, a little over 2,000 feet. 
This is 29,000 feet. It's, 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 it's so high that the, that the peak of it jets into the atmospheric um, jet stream of the, of the earth that we don't feel down here on earth that's going on way, way up above. This place is magnificent. It's, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's located on the border of uh, Nepal there in uh, Southwest Asia, or sorry, Southeast Asia by Nepal. But it's one of the most beautiful glorious places that you could visit and see the breathtaking beauty of it all. It's beautiful. That's the highest place on planet Earth. The lowest place on planet Earth is the Marina Trench, located in the Western Pacific. It is 36,000 feet down. That is a long ways down. I was doing some more research last night, and I saw where a destroyer, a U.S. Navy destroyer, uh, recently stopped over the Miranda Trench, and they had a swim call. I don't think I'd have been on that swim call. But it's 36,000 feet down to the bottom. It's 1,500 miles, wide, 1500 miles long by 43 miles wide. At the very bottom of the Miranda Trench, this place has never seen sunlight. Now, if you go out and you Google the Marina Trench, you're going to find pictures of these beasts. You're going to find pictures of Megalodon. Because this is one of the few places on planet Earth that man has not done a lot of research and has not discovered. So anytime there's a, a Megalodon or some kind of sea creature that we're, we're thinking up and we can't find him in the ocean, we say, well, he must be in the Marina Trench. But it's a, it's a deep, dark place. And within the Marina, the Marina Trench... You see the little crescent shape. At the bottom of the crescent shape, right by the, uh, oh, it says there, the uh, Challenger Deep, right by the M and A of Marina Trench is what they call um, Challenger Deep. That is the deepest point of the Marina Trench. Three people, it was discovered in, 19, excuse me, it was discovered in 1875, and three people have gone down there. The first people to go down there was Don Walsh and Jacques Picard. They, went, they, they descended to the depths on January 23rd, 1960. It was a five-hour journey down. They got down there, and um, they only spent 20 minutes. And when they got to the bottom, they could not see outside the windows because of the silt being stirred up. They made a huge mistake on their descent, and they couldn't see anything. And then on top of that, the worst thing that could possibly happen happened when they were down there. They noticed a crack forming in one of the windows. Yeah, where's the duct tape? It, they, 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 would have, they would have vaporized. They, would have, it, it, they wouldn't even have felt it. But really quickly, they descended to the top to, to save their lives and probably a change of clothes. <laughs> um, at least it would have been that way for me anyway. Then on uh, the third, that was John, John Walsh and Jacques Picard went down January 23rd, 1960. They, didn't, they couldn't see anything because of the silt. And it was, they only spent 20 minutes down there. Then on March 26, 2012, guess who went down there? Our director, James Cameron. James Cameron descended there. He spent 10 million. That dude's rich, by the way. But anyway, he spent millions and millions of dollars. I, I read where he spent $10 million alone on building the submersible um, submarine that he went down. But this is what James Cameron said about the um, Mariana Trench. He said, sorry, there were no horrible sea monsters, no wonders of evolution, no beautiful displays of nature. He said it was a ghost town. He describes it 
as the Morena Trench as being, being alien-like. Now, they've sent some unmanned cameras down there. They've done very little research. But with the exception of some possible toxic amoebas and some possible sea, cum- sea cucumbers, which is in question, they believe there's some of those down there. With the exception of those, there, there's no life down there. The place, the Morena Trench, specifically Challenger Deep of the Morena Trench, is shrouded in utter darkness, utter pitch blackness, alien-like. My friend, this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are on Mount Everest, spiritually speaking. You are, spiritually speaking, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been born again, you are on Mount Everest, spiritually speaking. If you are not in Christ, it's like you're at the bottom of the Morana Trench, shrouded in utter darkness. So what we're going to do this morning is we go through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to take you from the bottom of the Morana Trench, because that's where we are when we're separated from Christ, when we're not born again, when he's not living on the inside and we're a believer. I'm going to take you from the Morana Trench to Mount Everest in seven verses. So hang on tight. Y'all ready? Let's do this thing. Let's start in the Morana Trench. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I can't help but to notice this first phrase here. He says, You were dead. That means there was no life, spiritually speaking, there was no life in you at all. You were not in God's prison. You are not, I'm going to repeat that, you are not in God's prison. You are not in God's doghouse. You are in the morgue. You are in the Marana Trench. And spiritually, there's no life in you. There's none at all. And it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That word trespass means you've gone too far. The word trespass, you know, when you trespass a piece of property, you cross the lines, you've gone too far. In what area? In trespasses and sins. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all born with this sinful nature inside of us. If you've got blood pumping through your veins, then you and I, we came into this world as a sinner who's gone too far, who's, who's crossed the line, we've sinned, and, and we're dead spiritually, and there's no life in us. It's like being in that Marana Trench at the very bottom. The life cannot exist. It does not exist there. Verse 2, he continues. Oh, this gets deep, okay? This is just the beginning. Verse 2, he says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. That word, he says, in which you formerly walked. That, that, the Greek word for walk there is peripateo. It means how we pattern our life. He's not talking about walking along the streets, but he's talking about how we live out our life here on planet Earth. When he says in which you formerly walked, the way you live your life. Before Christ, our standard is the world standard. Which, you know what that is, really? I'm not, I'm not even going to blame it on the world or the culture. Before Christ, our standard is ourself. 
It's, it's whatever we want. I am the standard. I please myself. I make up my own rules. That's what it means when we, when we walk according to the course of this world. It is when we pattern our ways other than after God's word and other than following the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Question for you this morning. Does the pattern, does the pattern of your life, does the peripateo of your life, does your walk, does it reflect what you believe? Does it reflect what you believe? The places we go, the language we use, how we live our life, our sexuality, everything. Does the way we pattern our life, the way we live Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, does it reflect as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we have some of them old grave clothes, some of, them old, oh, some of the old grave Lazarus clothes on that we need to repent of and take off and throw off and run from? Does the pattern of our life, does it reflect what we believe? That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the rubber meets the road in Christianity is, is our life matching what's in our heart? Is our life matching what's in our heart, what's in the word of God? He continues in verse 2. I'm, I'm, Pastor David, why, why are you, I, I want to go through this methodically and I want you to understand it all because I believe once you understand this, you're going to be amazed at the gospel. Once you understand how deep and dark man's situation is apart from Christ, it's going to make the gospel glorious, beautiful, good news. But he continues in verse 2. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So there's this prince, there's this power of the air. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan. There is a spiritual dimension that we don't see with the physical eyes. There's this spiritual darkness over the earth. And the mastermind behind it, this influencing our world and pushing people towards darkness, is Satan himself. And Satan has a plan too. Satan has a plan. He has a, a tactic. He has a scheme that he wants. That he, he knows his time is limited. But the time that he is given, he wants to seek, kill, and destroy. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, uh, talking about Satan, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's number one goal on this planet and his darkness in his realm is to keep people from seeing the glory. To keep people from seeing the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To keep people as far from the gospel and as far from righteousness as they can. He wants people to believe a lie that they're here alone. That there's no eternal hope. That the only answer is to live a life of sin. He wants to keep people in bondage. That's his goal. That, that's his aim. Looking at verse 3, Paul turns the attention to us. And another thing, too, I want you to notice also in verses 1, 2, and 3, he uses you. Who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to people outside the church. He's speaking to us. He's reminding us in this text this morning 
of where we came from. In verse 1, he says, you were dead. In verse 2, he says, you formerly walked. And then verse 3, he says, among them we. He's reminding us. So before we get this righteous, holier-than-thou attitude, we need to keep in mind that this is where you and I were. This is where Pastor David was. I was deep in my darkness when he called me to, to trust in his son, Jesus Christ. But verse 3, it says, Among them we too all, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. This is man at his lowest point. This is, this is man at his lowest point. It says, we too also formerly lived. It means we stayed there. We, we abided there. It was a place that, that we, we, we wanted to be. It was for me anyway, before I became a Christian. I wasn't this poor, miserable soul. I was quite happy in my sin. I was quite content in my life. It wasn't until somebody gave me the gospel that it made glorious good news. But I lived, as verse 3, I lived in the lust of my flesh. I lived to please one person, and that was me. And that's a characteristic of life before Christ, is we live to please ourselves. And he continues in verse 3, going deeper and deeper indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Let me just say this. I was not miserable before I became a Christian. I, I was not miserable. Some people say sinners are miserable before they come to Christ. Not me. Man, I enjoyed my sin. I enjoyed my lifestyle. I, I looked forward to it. You know, I, I, I remember one of the reasons why I rejected Christianity. I remember the reason why I rejected Christianity. People would share the... There's a pastor over in Lexington, Pastor Stephen Williamson. We went to high school together. And at Irmo High School, right down the street here, he used to always come to me and, and witness to me and share the gospel with me. I remember cruising up at Dutch Square back in the late 80s, if any of y'all remember that. And Stephen and his, his Christian evangelists, they would be out there handing out gospel tracts. And I would listen to the gospel. I would look at those gospel tracts. I would read it. And the thing that kept me from coming to Christ was I have to give up my sin. I'd have to give up my sin. And I wasn't doing that. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. That Christianity sounds interesting. Oh, but I got to repent. I got to stop my sexual immorality. I got I to stop my lying and my lusting and my dishonoring my parents and breaking God's commandments. So I ain't having none of that. I loved my sin. I enjoyed it. I had, no, I, had, I had no desire for spiritual things. My Sunday, a, a, a Sunday back in the 80s, and a wee bit of the early part of the 90s, my Sunday, Sunday was a day on the lake. Sunday was a, was a day on the lake. Sunday was um, a day of recovery. A day of recovery from what I had done with myself the past days. Sunday was a day of listening to Casey Kasem, Top 100 Countdown. That, that was my Sunday. There was no desire in me for spiritual things because I indulged in the desires of the, my flesh and my mind, and I consumed myself with those things. That was all I, that was all I cared about. That was what kept me it, in the place I was. It wasn't until... I understood the gospel. I was like, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm under God's wrath because of, of my rebellion 
and my disobedience, I'm guilty. The law says I'm guilty. But then I understood the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I wanted it so badly. I was like, I want to get saved. I was like a, a patient going into a doctor's office. Patient goes in the doctor's office and the doctor goes through the details, explains the sickness, says, this is what's wrong with you, this, 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 and this. And by the way, it's going to kill you. That's what sin was. I understood my sickness. But then all of a sudden the doctor says, but I've got the cure. And he turns around with the medicine. What do I do? Give that thing to me, doctor. Put it right there. Give me the cure. And I understood the gospel. I, I, I understood what God was saving me from. Saving me from my sin. Look at verse, continuing in verse 3. He says, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul's talking about here the depravity of man. We're under God's condemnation. We're guilty. We're, we're guilty sinners because of our rebellion before we come to Christ. We rebel. We choose. So I asked the question at the beginning of my message. I said, what makes us value Christ? What makes us treasure him? It's this, when we understand our condition before Christ, when we understand what he has done for us at Calvary, it's when we understand the bad news that the gospel, not only does it make good news, it makes glorious good news. Alistair Begg says this. How many of y'all ever heard of Alistair Begg? Great Bible teacher up in Ohio, Park. Parkside, Park Street Baptist. But Alistair Begg says this concerning this. He says, it is because God's wrath is real that his mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, a real anger, the biblical concept of mercy and grace are robbed of their meaning. Do you see what he's saying? Unless there's a really bad news, grace is not grace. Mercy's not mercy. We can't sing that song with honest hearts, um, Amazing Grace, because it's not amazing if there's no judgment and there's no bad news. But because there is judgment and there is bad news, grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. There is good news. So that's you and I. Before we come to Christ, before we be begin our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are at the bottom of the Marana Trench. And that's where all people are when they're separated from Christ. But my friend, I got good news for you. There is, someone has come to lift us out of the trench. We can be, you can be lifted out, I'm using it as my sermon illustration, the Miranda Trench, you can be lifted out of the morgue and be taken to Mount Everest in your spiritual life. You don't have to live where you are. You can be raised to life in Christ Jesus. So how does God feel? This is, a good, this is a good theological question for you here. How does God feel about the people in verses 1 through 3? Amen. Did you read the next verse? Okay. How does God feel about people that are lost in their darkness? Look at the very next verse. Verse 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love 
with which he loved us, in the, in, in, in the manuscripts of the Bible, the numbers were added afterwards. So continue reading. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God loves people and he's made a way for them to come out of the trench. What he's saying here is even when we, we were dead in our sin, even when we were lost in the Miranda Trench and we had no desire for Christ, God's love and his mercy were there. And, and what opens up the floodgates? What opens up the floodgates for a sinner to experience the love, the, the love of God and the mercy of God is when they put their trust in Christ. It's when they put their trust in Christ. He pulls us out of the depths of darkness. And what does he do? He pours his love on us. He pours his mercy on us. He pours his grace on us. He restores us. He don't go down in some submersible submarine like Cameron did. He reaches down with his mighty right hand and says, you know what? I'm going to lift up Robert. I'm going to bring him out of the darkness because he's putting his trust in my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to set him on Mount Everest. That's what the gospel is. We're going to see a little bit. This is the plan of the ages, that God would reach down into this dark world and save souls and bring people into a right relationship with, through him and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's in darkness to start off with. Jesus comes. He dies on the cross, makes a way for sin to be atoned for, to be, to be, to, for people to find forgiveness in the cross. Then he rises from the dead so that he can raise us from the dead. His resurrection from the dead, it points to eternal life. There's life beyond the grave. But the resurrection also points to a new life in the here and now. Into, into, the, into, the, into the here and now. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. But the problem today is because people are blinded before they get saved. They don't see the glory. They, they, they don't see the, um, the glorious truth of the gospel. I remember before I got saved, and my heathen crew I was running around, I remember I was working at um, Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. It's now Showbiz. Or no, it was Showbiz, now it's Chuck E. Cheese. I remember my group I was running around with, I was in the back washing dishes one night, and uh, one, of my, um, one of my buddies, I, I, just one of my friends that I was running with, they came in the back and they were like, um, David, did you hear about Will? He got saved. And I was like, oh man, another one of my friends found Jesus. It was like, it was like God, was just, God was just sending lightning bolts down. He, he was sending lightning bolts and he was grabbing people. And I remember I always thought to myself, Whoa, you know, we all, they, they like to say phrases like, well, he found religion, or he found Jesus. And, and it didn't click to me. It didn't click of what Christianity was until I understood the gospel, until I understood the bad news. And the glorious gospel made good news. So that's what Jesus does. That's the plan of the ages, is to save men and to bring them into a right relationship with, with God. And then to start rebuilding their life, to start rebuilding their marriage, to start helping them get on their feet, to start um, get their path and get their life set in the right direction. So let's look at verses 5 and 6. 
And, and as we read verses 5 and 6, I want you to notice the, um, the three us's. That's U-S. The three us's in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Three things I want you to see in these verses here, in verses 5 and 6. There's um, him bringing new life. It says, he made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us. So he's, he's made us alive, he's raised us, and he's seated us. So let's look at each one of those. The first one is in, in verse 5. It says, he made us alive together with Christ. Two things there when he, when he talks about making us alive. One, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. And when, when he raises a person out of the trench and they become a born-again follower of Jesus, he gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them the Spirit, and the Spirit is now dwelling inside of them. And that dead spiritual corpse that once was in us is no longer there because the Holy Spirit is dwelling there. And he's made us alive spiritually. And second thought behind says the text says he made us alive is this. He opened our eyes. He opened our eyes. He removed our spiritual blindness. It's like all of a sudden you see the world in a whole new way. Things that once I hated or had no care for, spiritual things, I now loved. The, th- the things that I once loved, I now hated. But he opened, our, he opened my eyes to spiritual things. I saw the world in a whole new way. In Acts chapter 9, after Paul's encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, it says, Acts 9, 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. Paul it says he regained his sight. Uh, there was something physically going on there because he was physically blind, but I also believe there was something spiritually going on there. He, he saw life in a whole new realm. I remember when I got saved, the scales fell, and I saw everything in a whole new light. I, I could not believe what I had done with my life. I could not believe of the past 20 years of not serving Christ, of not being in a right relationship. What would have happened to me if I would have stepped into eternity? I wouldn't have been going to heaven. It scared me. It scared me. I was like, whoa, what was I doing? What was I thinking? How could anybody in their right mind live without Christ? They think life's going to go on forever. They think life's going to go on forever. And it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I was brought face to face with my mortality. And, and, and then I saw this glorious good news that my sins could be forgiven. It was amazing. It was amazing. Share a story with you. Um, joined the Navy in 91. Got saved in 1992. And God radically changed me. And uh, came home in 95, April of 95. And Irma was my stomping grounds. So I'm on an evangelistic mission to witness 
to all my old friends and, uh, and to share the gospel with them. It was just, it just burned within me. I just wanted to share. But anyway, I went over to this one friend's house. Um, she lived in, in Irmo, and I went and knocked on her door, and, and her mother came to the door, and she was like, yes, can I help you? And she gave me those looks. Her daughter was a very attractive young lady, and she gave me those looks like, oh, no. Another young man here to see my daughter. And she was like, and she called her daughter to the door. And I, I was like, hey, Jennifer, how you doing? Da, da, da. We started talking. And then um, she invited me in. The mother was not happy that I, I was there at all. She, I could tell she was frustrated. But then all of a sudden I told, I told this young lady, I was like, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. And now I'm going to this church. The mother stuck her head around the corner and said, would you like some coffee and donuts? <laughs> but I, I went around evangelizing. I wanted people to see this glorious good news and to think that I could go throughout this life and not share the gospel was just, I couldn't, I couldn't bear the thought of at least not trying to reach out. And let people know about this glorious good news. It's not about religion and steeples, but it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it consumed me. My eyes were opened for the very first time. I was, I was at a laundromat in Virginia Beach. My red Camaro that I first met Irene in. <laughs> uh, with, a, with a clear coat um, peeling off the hood. And right down the middle. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She saw that car. She's like, oh, man, I got I to meet him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But anyway, I was in that red Camaro. I was in Virginia Beach. I was in, I was in Virginia Beach, and I was uh, doing my laundry in the laundromat, and I, and I opened up the center console. And um, I was just so passionate and so focused and wanted to follow, the Christ, follow Christ. I wanted to play some music, and I opened up my glove box, and it was Guns N' Roses, Metallica, ACDC, Megadeth, you know, it was, that, that, was, that was my genre, that was my music growing up that um, it just disgusted me. It just disgusted me. And right there at the laundromat, I lined them up, up under the tires of my red Camaro, and I put it in reverse and crushed them. That was my theme song. The years leading up to Christ, my, my, my album, that described who I was, was, a, was a, a record called Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. You've been dancing with Mr. Brownstone. You can't leave him alone. Uh, it was just that music described who I was. And after I got saved and after my eyes were open, I said, you know what? I don't want to have nothing else to do with that old life. And I don't want nothing in my life that's going to pull me back that's going to pull me back because I understand there's a spiritual warfare out there and Satan wants to blind us and he fights against Christians even after they get saved. So he makes us alive is what verse 5 says. He makes us alive. He wakes us up from the dead and gives us new life. We see people in a new light. Verse 6, he says there, he raised us up with him. He says he raised us up. That, that means he elevated us. What did he elevate us from? He elevated us from the mire of sin. He raised us up from the guilt of the past. He raised us up out of the Marana Trench. 
And not only does he raise us up in grace and love, but he also does this. He picks up the pieces of our life and he begins to put our life together in the here and now and today, not just for eternity, not just for eternity, but in the here and now. There were so many things when I first came to Christ, there were so many things I was addicted to. There was so much bondage. I had done so much damage to my life. But when God raised me up, he picked up the pieces and started putting me back together and started taking me from a life of bondage, addiction, habits, ways of thinking, and bringing me into this new life by, as verse 6 says, raising us up. So this new life in Christ is coming up from the trench. Verse 5, he makes us alive. Verse 6, he raises us up. Let's look at the last one in verse 6. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My friend, this is the Mount Everest. This is the Mount Everest. You, if you're in Christ, you are seated with him. You are in the kingdom. You're, 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 you're in the kingdom. You are, you're seated at his table. You're seated at his table to never hunger again, to never thirst again, to be clothed in righteousness, with compassion, with grace and truth. You are in a personal relationship with him and in his kingdom. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's like we're here on earth, but spiritually speaking, in our relationship with God, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I don't know about you, but that to me speaks of eternal security. That speaks of the eternal security that is in Christ. And nothing, no one, no thing can take me from his hands. We are seated, verse 6, we're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In seven verses here, we go from the bad news to the good news. From the morgue to being raised from the dead. From the trench to Mount Everest. That is what Christ does. It's more than just say a little prayer, ask Jesus in your heart, receive him, and then go on about your life. It's about this whole new life, is what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2. So the plan of the ages. This is the plan of the ages. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Ephesians 2, 7 says, So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Paul first says, so that in the ages to come. This is a good text. This is a good point where Paul is seeing here. He sees it being a very long time before Christ returns in the rapture. It says, so that in the ages to come. So there, there's going to be eras, there's going to be epics of time where this is God's plan on earth. It's to save men's souls until that appointed day when he returns. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. God is rich. God is rich. And this is his plan to raise people from the dead and give them new life, to raise them out of the trench. They, they say that um, down there at the, in, the, in the Miranda Trench, there's, there's no light source. Light doesn't even exist. If there are creatures or amoebas or, or whatever is down there, they say there may be some little, sh 
I read one place where they think there might be some little shrimp-like creatures in the upper elevations, but they know utter darkness. They don't even know what light is. But when they come up, they see the glorious light of the world we live in. They see the glorious um, mountains. And, they, and that's what Christ wants to do. It says he wants to pour out the riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's very important that Paul says that in verse 7. He says, in Christ Jesus. We hear people say sometimes, well, I'm spiritual, but they're not a believer in Jesus. Sorry, but you're not spiritual if you're not in Christ Jesus. There's only one that raises people from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ. The only true spirituality that exists and that is real is the spirituality through Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is the plan of the ages. This is what we as a church body get to partake in. Our lives being restored and helping other people's lives be restored through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to ask this question. Has he raised you from the dead? Has he raised you from the Miranda Trench? Has he called you by name? That's what man needs more than anything, is a new life in Christ, to find forgiveness of sin, to find righteousness, to live a holy, dedicated life in Christ Jesus. If, if there's someone here and you don't know Christ, it's very simple. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what, that's what the New Testament teaches to become a Christian, is you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry for breaking your law. I'm sorry for breaking your commandments. And I turn away from my sin, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And you receive him, his Holy Spirit, as your Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Repent and believe the gospel. And let him come into your life and raise you from the dead. We're fixing to close with a song the video that we opened up with. I want to read to you some of the lyrics from it. It's called Glorious Day. Um, it says, I needed, I needed a rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. What we need more than anything is God's glory in Jesus Christ to break the chains of sin in our life. He says, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. As I was studying this passage this week, I couldn't help but to think of Lazarus. Lazarus in the tomb, and Jesus, the resurrection and life. He calls him by name and brings him out of the tomb. My friend, if Christ has raised you from the dead, if he has brought new life into your heart, as we close with this song, let him know it. Let him know it. Sing of that glorious day. And let, let, let his passion consume your heart. Understanding that you were once in the Miranda Trench, spiritually speaking. You were once in darkness, but now you are light. The light of the world. Because Christ Jesus is in you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done in raising us spiritually from the dead. 
You've given us new life. You've given us hope. You've called us out of darkness into your glorious light. You've moved us from the domain of darkness into your kingdom. Lord, let that produce joy in our hearts and in our lives. Let us celebrate this glorious good news because of the bad news that you've taken us from. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. And we thank you for this glorious good news. And Lord, as we experience this joy from knowing you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, let us take it to the world around us. Let us take it to our neighbors. Let us take it to our co-workers. Let us take this out into the community. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen.